I'm going in and never turning in and never turning. My name is Will Sherman and I'm a giant. We played on the same team at Villanova for three years. We had a lot of ups and downs, but we fought for each other. They play them games, won't name no names. Tricks for kids, ain't that the you saying? And whenever you need something and you hit me up, I got you. And this is, my, I think, my first or second time calling you, asking you to do something. And before I even finish what I was saying, you said, I'm there. I got you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Randy and my guy. Will Sheridan was on a team with Randy Foy. This guy was the best in practice, on the court, last shot taken. My freshman year, we went to the NIT. You was a sophomore, and it was just like we wasn't getting it done. And then over that summer, we just all got so much better. We were so focused on what coach wanted us to do. And we just became like a family. I remember you drove my Jeep Cherokee to New Jersey. Oh, like, like, like we go way back. Like it's oh, nothing. Man. Like it's nothing. This is so this is so regular. I appreciate it, man. Big up to that. Taking it back to Bear Delaware. What is Bear Delaware? So Bear Delaware is very small. It's best known for the Christiana Mall and um, no sales tax. I mean, until <laughs> Elena Deldon, there was nobody from Delaware really doing things in sports on the next level. I was from Bear, and both my parents was police officers. I grew up kind of an only child, one of four by my dad, one of one by my mom. So I was an outsider until sixth grade, and then I, over Christmas break, I literally had a six-inch growth spurt and went from like a six-foot kind of heavy set, like with man boobs, kid, to being like a stud that could like dunk. But I never played basketball organized until sixth grade, and then I started playing, and I was like ranked in the top. 50 high school players by seventh grade and we won a state championship my junior year i was player of the year and my senior year i was player of the year I'm a big mac big mac no happy meal you fast food tell me how does that feel i'm the main event main course entree hitting the choice is yours you can it was a small town i just didn't see anything there that i wanted to be like part of forever. I mean, my family is there, but I just wanted to get out. So my motivation was always to do things that was getting me out of Delaware, getting me out of that small town mentality. I used to be like, from Bear, Delaware, <laughs> starting forward, Will Sheridan, bump. What's bump? Uh, so my grandmother called me Bumper or Bump City when I was young to make me smile. And then because I had so much energy, um, I was in my mom always moving around, super high energy, and my mom used to call me Bumper. So when I came out, my grandma would call me Bump City. But then I like I became six eight, and it was really weird to call me Bumper. But when you when you talk about having so much energy, you used to embarrass us. You were a forward, but you used to run. When we used to do conditioning tests, yeah, you used to beat the guards sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> majority, and yeah. but it, even if you were close or even, to, we would get in trouble. First of all, I mean, I was I thought I was going to be a four there, right? Mm-hmm. So I thought I was going to be like... Shooting jumper. I, you know, I, thought, <laughs> I just thought Jay Frey was going to be a big man. So I was, And Coach Wright was always harder on me. I feel like I was a little undersized, a little less athletic than everybody else. And I had a chip on my shoulder. I was from Delaware. I had to be like... And like, think about who I'm matched up against every night. Like Josh Boone and Hilton Armstrong on the same team. Jeff Green and um, Roy Hibbert on the same team. And that's like just versus me. Like we always was losing the tip. Like from then on, I just had to be like over aggressive post D, like hold y'all down because. 
I was so focused and I was just trying to be as good as y'all. I wish I would have like, I don't even know. You know, sometimes you just wish you could have pushed a little bit harder. Well, when I think about blue collar, mm -hmm. the first two people to come to mind, just blue collar, hardworking for our basketball team at Villanova was you and Mike Nardi. I'll take that. Mike Nardi calls himself a gym rat, which he was. Yeah. And you, the defense that you played, the leadership that you showed from day one. Because I always say to people, like, you could be as good as you want, but if your teammates are not with you, then you're not going to be successful. I mean, it was just an ode to how good Joe was. I felt like, to be honest with you, I felt like I was given a gift to be in that environment. I mean, it sounds kind of pathetic and it's a gift and a curse, but I felt like I was overachieving because I saw how good we were and how successful we became. I mean, I'm 6'8 in the Big East. We had like Ryan Gomes at Providence. We had Craig Smith. Craig Smith with Dudley. Homeboy with the Braves. Yeah, yeah Dudley. Jared Dudley. Connecticut, Syracuse, Notre Dame. And then we played in the Big Five and it was like we was playing against Temple. So they tried to outthug us or Drexel. And I'm just like <laughs> this kid from Bear, Delaware. That's just like. But think about it. Every Philadelphia school tried to outthug us. And we smacked them yeah. always. By because we was on the main better. line and we was claiming Philadelphia and everybody yeah. else was in Philadelphia, so they didn't like that. They was so mad. I just felt like if I just ran with blinders on and was so focused on what we was trying to do that I would be successful, and I was. I mean, I felt like basketball, I don't know if you know, but like my parents got divorced. My junior year, your senior year, I was going to like counseling on campus. And that's that's a crazy question because I, from the outside looking in, it looked like your support system with your mom's and your dad being at the games, it yeah. looked like it was unbelievable. It looked like you had everything going for you academically. You had everything going as an athlete, but your support system looked like it was unbelievable from the outside. And for you bringing that up, talk to me a little bit about your mom's and dad, because I know they both were police officers. Yeah. So both talk my parents were police that. officers. Um, that's why my number was 550 for the cops. It's so <laughs> ironic now that it's like that I was like repping the cops so hard. So my parents and I have had a very interesting relationship. I had the strength and courage to come out to them after freshman year in college. And then the progression of their marriage is really private. But by my junior year, they was getting a divorce and we were so successful. Like think freshman year, we went to the NIT. Sophomore year, we went to the Sweet 16. Junior year, we're going to Elite Eight. And I'm going. I'm thinking about my parents' divorce during pre-games and stuff like that. So I'm going through counseling. I'm just like trying to make sure that I'm right for the team and be strong. I think my grandmother died that year. It was just like, and I never, you can ask Coach Wright, but I never missed any practices ever. And it was just an ode to like how tight we was. Now you play professionally. I can, you could just tell with professional teams, like people don't be as close with each other. And my support system looks so good because my parents are stand up people. And then Coach Wright is feeding us this attitude philosophy where you approach life with the right attitude, you could do whatever you want. And I'm just like, this is the perfect situation. We got beautiful, beautiful people. Everybody's got good players. We got beautiful people on this team. We want to think about our next game. That's it. You understand that? <laughs> so, I mean, as much as I was giving to the team, I was getting it back from that same energy motivating me. I even remember your senior speech when you're like, I could be on a team 
with so many different people, like bumps from Delaware, where you got to walk 15, 20 minutes to the Wawa. And I was like, <laughs> I was like why are you calling uh, me out? But then I thought about it. I'm like, yeah, we different. You grew up with like a bodega next to your house. Like, yeah, like whatever. I grew up where you had to walk like 20 minutes on a highway to like get to Wawa. We different. It's just, and that is what helped me develop my personality and my character. You just exposed to so many different people at Villanova. You had parents who were police officers. Yeah. How did that translate as far as discipline at home? My parents were definitely very disciplined, but they had to be lax on as far as schedules because they both work shift works. So they generally were not home together all the time, so I had to be really responsible. Um, I think my childhood has affected my adult life so much now that like people call me like a queer radical because I'm like radical and political and like outspoken and not afraid to be who I am. It's like a contained energy. Like I have the superpower of being like this super like stand up guy for my community and what I stand for. But at the same time, I'm a chameleon. Like I can blend in with a guy like Randy from Newark or like Coach Wright. And it's because of this experience and because of playing at Villanova, it makes me a better, more well-rounded person. Hold on. No, he's not trying to stunt on you, but he could have been an engineer. He could have been he could have been anything he wanted to be. And I'm a rapper. And he chose to be a rapper. <laughs> Basically what he's saying, yeah. he's that smart. Uh, thank you. <laughs> now, as an adult, I look back and I'm like, wow, I really had like great role models that made me a better person now. And then I just brought that to Villanova. And then they's like, oh, well, do you want to do orientation? I'm like, yes, I want to I want to be the first basketball player to be an orientation counselor. Yes, I want to be the MC for the 32nd presidential inauguration. Yes, I want to do that. I want to do student activities and work out in the morning before and after. I just wanted to do everything in college and I did it. And as a result, now it's nobody that ever go to a Villanova event or ever that's heard of me and got anything bad to say about me. So, it's a brand new day that's on her way. Tell me some things that grabbed your attention when you were a kid and you were like, I really want to do this. Yeah. I really love school. I was just like I told you, I never missed a day of practice. In middle school, I got perfect attendance from kindergarten to eighth grade and I missed one day. As a child, I really was thirsty to write things so i used to write poetry in middle school and then high school it became like spoken word and then by the time i was in college i was doing like sigma chi fraternity and sorority talent shows the student athlete talent show i always wanted to perform and i always loved music and i always loved words over everything i used to write about love and trying to define love and then i used to write about separation and letting people down what queer youth do and like what some youth in like in poverty do is they just build up all these roadblocks in their head that they have to fight every day. You think you're going to be all these things that you never, ever are going to be. And I just created all these obstacles um, in my head. So I would just write like all these double entendres or like make up a fictional story that really was my life. When I was a kid, though, I wasn't really art artsy, though. It's because when you're in Delaware and you're tall, it's like sports, right? And you grow up as a boy, it's like sports. They're not like, oh, paint me a picture. They're like, oh, pick up this basketball, learn how to shoot free throws. But because I play sports, it exposed this character and made me this go-getter, this winner. And I think that's the right attitude I have to have now professionally as a touring artist. I literally look my career in the eye every day and it's looking at me like, you're not going to make it. You're going to fail. This for the trouble, beating the drum, drum, drum. Then I drop an album. Then I do a West Coast tour. Then I do my first international gig. Then people start flying me places. And I'm like, oh, 
There it is. That's why I am the way I am. That's why I'm built the way I'm built. My journey is a course and my course is a given. I'm in the driver's seat and my dreams never hidden. I want what I want. I do what it takes to get it. I'm nothing like a passenger, but I am Early on, when did you realize that you preferred guys over girls? And then my next question for you is, as a teenager, did you ever have a girlfriend? Of course. I was a ladies' man. I was trying real hard to be straight. But I was sexually active in my teenage years, though. So that was, I mean, with boys my age. So that was crazy. So uh, everything felt off when I was young. I felt isolated and I felt marginalized. I felt... I felt left out. I felt lonely. I felt like I was the only kid in my neighborhood that was, like, I felt like I didn't have any friends. And then the friends that I did have were, like, through basketball. So, like, that's why I kind of started playing basketball. Um, I definitely felt like a weirdo. I am a weirdo. I'm proud to be a weirdo now, but I wasn't then. So I was trying real hard to be, like, regular like everybody else. Uh, I don't prefer guys over girls. I just like guys. I don't like girls. And I think it took me a long time to get into that. Cause I mean, like I've had sex with girls, but like and I remember being, I remember my dad and my brother being in the car. I was like, "Yeah, I smashed, blah blah blah," and he was like, "Oh, did you like it?" And I was like, "Yeah, it was okay." And they was like, this "I ain't never." On. That was like early on. Uh, I was like, I, they, like <laughs> I ain't never heard a dude say like, "Oh, it was okay." His first time, I was just like, "Yeah," I just like I was, <laughs> she like made me do it. Like every time I had sex with a girl, like made me do it. But I remember it was a story that you told me about what you were going through something at the time. You said to me. You know, the reason I'm like this is because my dad was never there and I was always hanging out. You remember that? Uh, I was always hanging out in beauty salons and probably. places with my mom's. Well, when I had that story, um, which is true, um, I did grow up with my grandma and my mom, basically. But back then, I tried to, I was trying to rationalize why I would be sometimes effeminate or why I was institutionalized to be gay. I just feel like I was always trying to come up with an excuse or a reason why like I was closer to my mom or people be like why do you walk like that I'm like well I grew up with my mom so I should just watch her walk so I guess that's how it was but now it was just something innately in me like I remember my mom used to come home and I just have like t-shirts tied around my waist when I was a little kid and like she's like well what are you doing and I was like well I'm just doing what I see on tv and I was like mimicking like the cheerleaders and the dance people and stuff like that and it was I was always like on the drill team or like I didn't understand why the boys had to play football and the girls got to play kickball kickball is mad fun like I didn't understand so I was always questioning things like that like you asked me did I have girlfriends I had girlfriends from like kindergarten and I swear they remind me all the time on like Facebook I had girlfriends from kindergarten to college but I remember my high school girlfriend being like, we've been like dating for six months and you haven't even kissed me. And she like made me kiss her. And I'm just like, I just wasn't even, I was mentally prepared to be straight, but physically I was just, because you remember when Oz came out, I used to like love watching Oz. And I used to like, why do I love this show so much? And it's because it's all these dudes. And it was just having gay <laughs> sex in like jail. And I was just like, I was so obsessed with this. And I think a couple of years ago, I would be like embarrassed to say something like that. But like, the honest truth is, is like, who gonna say something? What you gonna do? Like, like at this point, like I'm 31 years old. I'm a grown ass man. I pay all my own bills. It's like nobody could tell me shit. But if I would have been like that type of player in college, I think I'd have been an animal. I think I'd have been even better because I'd have been like, I wouldn't have been worried about this side of me like not cultivating. I would have just like been hooping. Was basketball a place to just kind of? relax or what was it for you at that time 
basketball was definitely a physical outlet. It definitely, um, it was kind of like sugarcoating who I was. Like people like knew I was a weirdo and knew I was gay, but like because I played basketball, everything was okay. It made me feel included and part of something bigger than myself. And I think that's why I excel at like team sports, and that's why I excelled in um, at Villanova. But at the same time, I knew I was different because I'm comparing myself to somebody like Randy or like Curtis. I don't know how deep we're going to get into the stories, but like I remember like walking in on my teammate, like having sex with a girl and she'd be like, do you want some of this? And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, you know, like college was crazy. You like, we was success- man, what's his name? Red I, from Friday. I'm just like, no. Like I literally, I remember like it happened multiple times. They'd be like, Oh, are you gonna get in this too? And I'm like, no. Like, well, let's so, make that clear. You never. I saw just said me. teammate. Yeah. I just said teammate. Let's make that I didn't, clear. I'm not throwing nobody let's under the bus. I think, I think that uh, the girls always came to me first, and I was just like, well, we can be friends. And I'm like, what's that mean? And I'm like, oh. And I remember some of our teammates had girlfriends that would be like, oh, you're gay. And I'm like, whoa. Like I was so insulted. They must be. I pick you like a bookie, you pluck you like Nardi. You are a poser, poser to me, hardly. You didn't see it, and you didn't know it, but that was the question. Everybody, right? From a, I mean, around campus. That was like the question <laughs> from, from other teams to students to even administration. That was the question. But hey, nobody um, ever asked me, they never. They were so scared to ask you. But they always asked us. That's crazy. And they were always asking, well, you the captain, you know. And I just like, bro, like, I don't know. And he has a girlfriend. I but, had a girlfriend yeah. freshman year. Wait, I like, and then yeah. I, here's the tea, here's the tea. Wait, hold on. I had a girlfriend freshman year. And then I remember walking from freshman campus up to the church steps. And I came out to her in Villanova's church steps. And she was like... I'm so hurt. My dad told me you were gay when he met you. And I'm just like, well, why ain't nobody tell me? Why ain't nobody tell me, though? Like, why oh, ain't somebody man. just be like, you know, you could be a role model for a whole different demographic of people if you actually just pursue this sport and be great at it and run with blinders on and be successful and be gay. Still to this day, people cannot fathom an athlete playing the way I play and being like a homosexual. They just can't. They can't put them together. So like I always and you had know why? Like, you were so aggressive. The way you defended, the way you rebound, and even the way you you shot the basketball. And there's was, no way. The way he played the passion that you had. Yeah. There's no way. I mean, now I'm that passionate about being gay. <laughs> I'm like a gay superhero now. Like uh but no, um I thank you for saying that. And I think that uh it was it was a result of me being around great teammates that really pushed me. Coach Wright pushed me to the next level. I mean, our coaching staff at the time, we've had the best coaches. I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I said, you. I think you already had said to me, like, hey, listen, you know, I'm gay, right? But I think we we played Connecticut, and I remember you dunking on Josh Boone. <laughs> and, and I just went back. I said, there's no way. He probably feeling some type of way that day. There's no way, no way. Just, this dude can grab so grab all these rebounds against these six eleven seven footers, first round picks. Yeah, like right? Jeff Green, Roy Hibbert, Duncan on these all. dudes. Slay them all. Oh, 
got another story for you. Tell me all of them. I was in Turkey, and we were we were it was me and coach right there, and it was the World University Games, uh-huh. and I got so many. I got probably more questions from my teammates about you. Oh my god! Than anything about me, and they were like, "Hey, bro, you need to talk to me," and I'm like, "What's up, man? You need to talk to me." I need to ask you a question. You need to answer this question. <laughs> and I'm like, what's up? Is Will is Will Sheridan gay? And I'm like, nah. Why why do he run like that? Oh my God. Yeah, this, I'm like, the I'm Delaware like, paper made fun yeah. of me one time. I'm like, right. that's just the way you like. I don't everyone. run like that because I'm gay. I run like that because I run on my toes and I run faster than every other big man that I ever played against. So <laughs> wait, wait, me he, running on my toes. Ran, he ran fun like I, I run like a deer, like he just he just he just trots. Like the sound factor. He trots. So that was the question. And then the first thing in my head, I'm just saying to myself, like, I'm, I could sit here and I could say these to these guys. This as I could say, yeah, he's gay and he's this and that, because Will would never know. I'm in another country at the time. These other guys play for other teams, so he would never know. Even if they said something to him on the court, he would never know. But my instincts just kicked in. I have to protect my teammate, and so I was like, nah, like he he has a girl, like he's. And like, oh, why you run like that? I'm like, why you run like that? But were they talking shit? Like, were you like? I mean, you that was about a, protecting them. Uh, it, it just was wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, it's perceived. It wasn't a, talking shit. It our, just was a question because he played against them and he was dominant. Hi, Peter. Burn will never more. Your can banter doesn't score. Your demeanor is unsure. You're reading insecure. And if I knew you so I felt like a protector at that time. At that I'm point, like, in my mind, I'm like, they don't know yet. So I'm gonna come out to him on my own when I get close or whatever. And it was like when I started when I came out to Marcus, he was like, Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> like, are you telling me this right now? Like, are you But when you when you when you came up to me and you said it, it was like you were like, you're the third person I'm telling. I remember we on West Campus. I was going up to you and I was just like... See, I thought that we were right outside of the locker room. I mean, tell me your story. <laughs> so this is this is my... I remember it. This yeah. is my version of it. We were... we were walk, I think we had practiced something. You was like, I got to talk to you. And then we walked out and we were outside in the hallway. It's between the training room and the locker room. And you were like, I got to tell you something. And to remind you, my uncle that I lived with since I was born, he was five years older than me. He was gay. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I had no idea. So you would have been the first person I came out to. <laughs> so when when you said I have something to tell, I knew what it was because he said that to me. He's like, I have something to tell you. I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm gay. This is what he said to me. And he was like, I know you're in high school, you this. And I'm looking at him like basically the same thing I said to you, like, I already know. So and crazy. I think when you said it to me, I was like, I already know. And I feel like you said thank you for telling me. Or yeah, something like, like something like you, you're like because the speculation was at the like this such is a high. At this that is point. our little like people who are speculating about it, but this is our little secret, right? This is our you know, thing. We, we're about to do something like you are so important to this team. That, and we was so focused on this yeah. one goal. I was like, why come out and then do press conferences and yeah. then be a distraction and da da da. And people are like, no, you should have came. Out. I'm like, no, you just never been a part of nothing that's, that's amazing. Like, I said this doesn't even matter, but. On this court, I know what you're doing for this team. So I didn't even care about that. Because if I needed help with anything, you were the first person. Like that's with your next, car. <laughs> that's next level progressive though. Yeah. You know what I mean? With your like, car, I was like You gotta think how many people from your environment are like that though. Or were like that. And that's ten years ago. Like pre Jason Collins, pre Derek Gordon, pre Michael Sam. 
but no one on campus knew. And then when you when you came out to I didn't me, I feel close to them. Yeah, when you came out to me, I was like, wow, this dude really trusts me. I I mean, yeah, like think about what we was going through. Yeah. Like you're from your environment, I'm from my environment. We come, we the best players from our respective towns, areas. We going through the same thing every day. You seeing me every day struggle physically, mentally, socially, and you there. Like, you in the same situation. It's like we brothers. Like, you didn't have no choice. We Just like Coach Wright said, we family. We can't give them back even if we could. Like, that shit was real to me. And I never had siblings either, so it was even more special to me. Our guys are really tough. Yeah, but talk about Will Sheridan, your unsung hero. So y'all was the closest I'm thing tell you, I'm going to tell you a story sisters. with Coach Wright. Greatest kid. Started for four years. He was a warrior, and everybody loved him. He was like, is everything okay with, with Will? And I was like, everything is awesome with Will. He was like, you guys got to understand, everyone's not alike. And I think it was probably like me or <laughs> I A-Ray. wish I was in that yeah. meeting. Like. It was like, he was like, everyone's not the same. But he was like, he's ours. This is our, you remember he always said that, yeah. he's ours, and this is our brother, and we're going to treat him that way. Everyone might look at him different from the outside, because I think it was someone probably said something during a game. Oh, you yeah, that's what I said. Oh let me my God. My story, I was like, I'm going to let you go into that. I'll let like, you go into that. Okay. But he was like, everyone's different, but we're going to love him. He was like, I'm going to coach him, and this is your brother. He's a huge part of what we want to do. But I think someone said something like, because St. Joe's, well, like I had a gap in my teeth at the time. Like Invisalign is unbelievable. Thank you. <laughs> Shout out to Invisalign. <laughs> but they, they had like the pictures up of T-Rex like with the, <laughs> the crazy teeth. Yeah. And I walked out. I was like, I swear I'm going to score 40 on them. Oh, like to man. myself. I was like, all right, you want to take it there? Yeah, we knew that the students were going to be at early. You know, a lot of hard stuff was going to be set at us. But we knew we just had to go out there and just put 40 minute effort. And I just remember we used to have certain times where we walked out. Soon as you walked out. Oh, every time. They started going, Sheridan, what's dick taste like? They start going crazy. Sheridan, we know your boyfriend goes to Penn. Like, as soon as they were saying that, like, you're shooting the ball, and you're like, oh, my God. Like, these are students that if they walked up to them and saw them face-to-face, they Never. would dare. They wouldn't say nothing. What's really crazy about that is, like, you know your relationship with your grandmother, right? Yeah. My mom's mom was probably the closest grandmother I had. She came to all the games. She'd be right there, and there'd be somebody right behind her screaming, Sheridan takes it in the ass. And I'm just thinking, like. Like, what am I supposed to do? We about to smack y'all by, yeah, like, 40. Exactly. Like, I'm on the best team in the country. Like, I don't have nothing to prove. So I just went out and played, just act like it didn't happen. But I just knew if I came out, it was going to be perceived, no matter what it was. And I felt like I had the capacity to definitely be an out basketball player. But whatever it was, it was going to be a distraction. But I really wanted to give people no reason to ever hate me. You didn't want to be a distraction. There was no reason. You weren't hiding anything. You just... Right. So why did you decide to tell Randy? You know, I had, I don't know what it is. I think, for well, first, the first person I came out to was Nardi. And I felt like if we was going to share a computer, I got to tell this guy because we live together and I don't want it to be like some surprise. So then I came out to Ross after and I came out to Tom Grace. And then I came out to Rand, I think, because um, I had the intentions of coming out to Marcus and Chris Charles. And I just felt like I'm going to start here. And if it gets worse, because Rand was like the type of dude that like... He would catch like Marcus smoking and be like, "Bump if you smoke, I'm punching your face." And I was like, <laughs> "I'm like, all right, I'm gonna smoke." And then I like smoke or something, and I'm like, "Oh man, Randy not gonna be my homie no more." So I'm like, if I just come out to Rand, he like the team captain, like the best guard, strongest, biggest, whatever. So I'm like, 
let me come out to him and then if this is bad then i'll probably take a couple steps back but you know i used to say that right when like guys are like do drugs or or whatever and to this day i'll always say that because a lot of people in my family had drug problems and i saw them suffer for it so when i when i see guys abusing something and i tell them over and over and they don't stop the next person i go to is someone that's under them and probably look up to them getting influenced yeah and i'll be like hey don't do this because you're gonna end up like that. Do you yeah. want to do it? Yeah. <laughs> I was so be, good at college because yeah. I had the right, I had the wrong examples with the right examples. Do you like, want to be like that? Or like do you he don't be, play yeah. and you do. Why exactly. are you doing the same thing he does? Exactly. So. The context in which I was coming out to him, I just felt like it was man to man. And I think he was gonna respect me. Like this is the big argument me and my dad had. It was like he thought in his mind that being a man was being a traditional classic man at the media or the world is projected to you. But my idea of being a man was manning up, like being who I am, regardless of the situation. And I thought that is more masculine to just be who you are. And I think on a man-to-man basic level, I think Randy could respect that. And so that's why I came out to him. To be completely honest with you, I knew he was so strong and he, he was so confident that he didn't need us. He just was telling us just out of respect in the person that he is like he has such a big heart and he want to protect others also like we were looking at him like hey we got to protect him he was looking like hey let me tell you just in case someone asks you and you're not caught off guard it's like just in case you get here with this curveball deny 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 like defense i mean we were, <laughs> that's what we learned in practice and then we was living it in life but like at the same time i was a smooth dude on campus i mean i had all the connections to all the girls I was getting fly before everybody else. No shade. So I had the Prada's first and then yeah, everybody. to go back to that. Well, I had, actually, I had Prada's in high school. But <laughs> to go back to that, it wasn't cool to wear pink polos. That's when Kanye first came out. Like, Will made it cool for the athletes on the team to wear pink polos I was and, be, and be cool with it. Like, you would wear pink polos with blazers and shades. Then you start looking at MTV. You know, and Usher. Yo, I remember the vibe cover when he had the blazer it, it on. Was I was like, like, oh, I had the same outfit It was like, at, that's what we said. We was like, our teammate was wearing pink polos and blazers before I seen Kanye West do it. You know what it was? It might have been from Delaware. I went to a really affluent high school. I feel like my parents spent all the money they saved on college for me to go to high school. And I feel like I came in freshman year and I was like, I had like the wrestling shoes with the jeans that was a little tighter. And everybody was like. Oh, he gay. But then, like, because of my confidence and my personality, and I also was comfortable standing on my own. So as a result, they're like, we respect you. You're one of us. In addition to my father and my mother's reactions, I just always was worried about these guys, these men respecting me as a man. And it wasn't going to come to blows. It was like, get it done on the court and then, like, be a stand-up guy in life. So Every fear I ever had, I put in a bubble and I pop that ish like... Your mother is an extremely loving person. Yeah. Every time I saw her at a game, Mike Nardi, moms, your moms were together. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like we're in Tennessee in the NCAA tournament and like his mom's is here. I like, never even thought about it like that. I just so funny. <laughs> oh, like uh, his mom's is here. I'm like, okay, we're in Connecticut and his mom's is here. And you know, she felt like she was like all of y'all moms though. Like my mom would have gave you the shirt off her back just to like make sure you was all right. There was a time at Villanova when we were playing that there was tension with your dad. Right. And I I saw it and I saw the looks on your face. 
And then I saw your dad stop coming to games. Yeah, that was so crazy, right? And he didn't come to graduation. <laughs> really? So I just want you to um, you I know, just want you to to explain that situation. Yeah. I mean, I came out to my parents after freshman year. I was roommates with Mikey Claxton. And I remember throwing my phone and flipping his bed over. And the whole team came in the room like, what the fuck? Like, what happened? Yeah. I was just like, having a fucked up day. I just came out to my parents and they was just like, what is going on? You're a basketball player. Like, look at all these kids that look up to you and blah, blah, blah. And like, you're going to die of AIDS and go to hell. And it was just next level. When you're like a gay youth, I was like 19, 20, you become your parents' parents. You're like, you don't mean that. You know, let's sit and talk in person. And like that maturity just popped out of me. And it was because of sports. Like I already knew who I was. I knew what I was defining my own path. I wasn't scared of anything. So in return, I think my dad felt threatened. He was embarrassed. His his alpha male son. All-American son. All-American <laughs> son. Ac- like academic, all-American, class president. You know, his son is a faggot. And he just can't even, he can't take it. He literally can't take it. And we on TV. So when he go to the barbershop, they're like, oh, your son is gay? I heard your son is gay. Like, if you heard that every day in your life as a regular working class cop, like, conservative, Delaware, small town, and your son is, like, this super colorful person, it's like, you're going to be ashamed. So my rationale in my mind was it took me 19 years to get to this point where I could be like, I'm me. This is who I am. I'm an adult. I got to accept it or I'm going to hate myself. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to give him 19 years. To move forward, my dad was just like, I just can't even talk to you. I just can't be a part of your life. Also, I had an older He said that to you? Yeah. My dad was like, my dad, it's so funny. I came out to my dad and I was actually closer to my mom first. I came out to my dad first and my dad told my mom at work because he had stopped smoking and then he started smoking again. Mom was like, why are you smoking? He's like, you need to talk to your son. So then I called. My mom called. I was like, what's this shit I hear about you being gay? And I was like, well, I am. And then she was like, and I, it sounds so crazy when I say it, but the first thing she said, and she'll deny this because she's so loving and supportive. She's like, you're going to die of AIDS and go to hell? And I'm just like, damn. Like, So then I had to become her parent. So then after like two or three weeks, I'm progressively becoming more comfortable with who I am. So fast forward, I mean, it was so much drama. It was like reality TV. Like I had this car, my my like cranberry Cherokee, he like snatched that. He was like, I'm taking this. You don't like, you don't deserve this. And then like, he was like, I'm not coming to any of your games. He didn't come to my senior night. My dad didn't come to my graduation. Now, if you think about it, 2% of the world's population has a BA, a bachelor's degree. Of that percentage, black males is like not even point anything. So for me to be a black male and have a black male as a dad and him not come to my graduation, it hurt. Yeah. And like I'm at graduation, like, and I'm like big man on campus and my dad ain't there and it just made it so empty. If that was me and my dad said that to me, <laughs> what he said to you, I would have been like, go F yourself. I am never talking to you again. Well, and even my mom's to a certain extent. But I think I would have came back around. Yeah, we're all different. I mean, we all can be giant if we choose to be. Um, I had to relearn love. You know, I had to learn my, to love myself. I had to learn to love others who don't love me and love them that do love me, right? But also my parents, right? I want to have kids, right? I never want to do anything to my kid that makes them not want to talk to me forever. So I learned from my dad's whatever behavior that I don't want to be like that. Just like, you know, people are like, oh, your dad wasn't there for you. My dad was there for me. And the only way he knew how to be, the only love he knew how to give. So as a result, I learned how to love better. 
I had a lot of development to do. And I'm at that point now where I'm a grown ass man. I'm so happy where I'm at. I'm a successful artist and I only see positive things in the future. I have no reason to be upset. Yeah, if you if you're happy, it doesn't matter what no one else thinks. If you're happy, then then you're good. That's still, how I look at it. Still, no matter how much money you have in the world, if you're not happy, then you're gonna be miserable. But you can have nothing and you could be extremely happy and you're gonna have everything that you want. You're right. But do you think about the fact that maybe there are players on other teams that weren't aren't as close as what your team was? Yeah. And that your story and hearing the way you guys work together could have such an impact on them because I'm, I'll bet you your situation as a team, it, it wasn't like that with every team. Yeah, I mean, just to think about it, to put it in perspective, um, I tore my Achilles and I have got a Facebook message or text or phone call from basically all my team and other Villanova alums. So it's like I came out and nothing changed. If anything, people were like, we respect you for being who you are. We definitely did protect each other. So we went to a party and let's say if it was like eight of us that went, and one of us was like, I'm not feeling this. Let's go. All eight of us was leaving. Bye. Like, not one person was staying. We like, we got to go. And that's the kind of bond that we have. Whatever we do, we do it together. Coach Wright, the only concern he had when I was about to come out, I told him before, and obviously I discussed it with him before. He was like, I just don't want this to change your legacy. And I was like, what, coach? I was like an eight and eight guy that started all four years. I got a sweet 16 and elite eight. They can't take it away from me. Like, I did everything I ever wanted to do with basketball. Let's talk about your life after basketball. Yeah. You're doing really well. You're touring. You have multiple albums. And so talk to me about your life yeah. as a performer. You're killing it well. You're killing it well. So it all started. I came back from overseas. I remember I was home for two weeks. My mom was like, what do you want to do? I, think, I was like, well, I just applied for this job at, in New York. I'm going to write at a magazine. She was like, well, go. And I just took my money from overseas, lived in the Lower East Side for like six months. And then I moved to Brooklyn and worked retail. But I was writing for Source Magazine. I was interning. And then... As a result, I was going to see like Kid Cudi perform and then like other artists that were underground. And then I was like, well, I could just try this. Greedy, greedy, greedy. And then in 2009, I started rapping. My cousin was a DJ and a um, producer in Delaware, DJ Stillforce. And he was like, I'm going to send you this beat. Why don't you just go over this like day 26, girl, I'm going to put it on you. And I like flipped it and did all these double entendres of putting on a girl of like clothes from like a gay male perspective and they uh -huh. were like yo this shit is crazy <laughs> he ain't even talking about no gay shit and I was like yeah I can rap about anything and then we put out the video and it went mini viral and people were like oh this is serious he's serious about this I'm like yeah I'm serious and then I came out with Giant One 18 tracks and I didn't talk about any gay shit and everybody was like, oh, this is okay. My ambition makes me harder. Nods makes me smarter. Got clacks and on deck to collect them checks and don't get it, but we it's okay. Then I came out with soap, sex on the platter, where I'm literally rapping about like all the explicit shit that rappers rap about, but I'm gay. My perspective is different. Learn no rules from Sean Lawrence James. Born 
if you think about it, high school and college was eight years that I wasn't even thinking about art or anything like that. I was just hooping. So then after that, I did Giant 2, G2. I released my fifth project, which was Giant. At the beginning of the year, I did a West Coast tour. I managed myself. I just released my sixth project called G2R. I mean, I even wrapped that one of your, like, run fundraiser things. And it was just people showing me love. And now I'm at a point where I'm a professional touring artist. It's, like, next level. Like, it's undeniable. Personally, to me, just from me watching from afar, I think Brooklyn has brung the best out of you. And I want you to explain why. So Brooklyn has created a environment where queer artists can feel safe and thrive. I'm part of that. To me, I've lived in Bed-Stuy for nine years now. Bed-Stuy, like near like where Jay-Z, Biggie, Little Kim, all these people are from, most stuff. And you can feel that energy. You can feel it in the jerk chicken. You can taste it in the jerk chicken. You can <laughs> you can feel it when you're on the AC train. And it's like, I got robbed at the C train station before, like at Notion App. I'm part, I'm like, everything you could think of that happened to me in New York has happened, right? I've been broke. I've had no money. I've had money. All of that has happened to me. And as a result, my character has never changed. I've never been a bad guy. So when I go home, it's all love. And they're so proud of me. Because I'm still just that kid from Bear, Delaware that walks to Wawa. I mean, my most popular song, like the hook would be like, Swallow Swallowing my love. And they're like, oh my God, that's so groundbreaking. And I'm just like, I mean, straight rappers been saying this forever, but now that it's in a gay context, they just can't take it. And I'm like 6'8", hairy, got a beard. I play basketball. They're just like, mind fuck. People say, oh, sports, basketball, you know, it develops character. No, it's in you or it's not. It exposes character. And I think when I'm on stage, my live show is so athletic. I think basketball has laid down the foundation of who I am as a person. And that translates to who I am as, a, as an artist. My narrative is all in there. Like, I mean, every struggle I've had with my dad, my mom, you know, hooping, thinking about insecurities, all that is in there. You play my mind, take me for granted. Telling me lies, can't understand it. The respect I give. It's just starting to get to the point where, like, people are, my, my talent and my art is validated because of my story and my journey. It's like, I'm really happy. So my last question to you is, if you had a chance to write a letter to 15-year-old Bump, explain to me what that letter would be like. Wow. Um, I think I would tell 15-year-old Bump that league minimum is like dollars dollars $600,000 to just sit on a bench and that you're 6'8 and that you're a great basketball player and that you could you can influence and impact more people by just being who you are if you focus on being great at one thing. And then I would also tell him not to let people put him in a box because, you know, I remember talking to Nardi being like, why don't, why don't dudes hit on me? Like, I don't understand. He's like, well, you don't look gay. And I was like, oh, I need to look gay to get like, I think you define who you are, whether you straight, gay, whatever, like you define 
your unique self. And I think I would tell the 15-year-old me to just stay in my lane, create my lane, just keep pushing. Because really, there's no blueprint for success in that what I do. Especially like when you tell somebody you're a rapper, then you tell somebody you're a queer rapper. It's like, ooh, how are you going to make it in life? You just got to be confident, be secure in who you are, and just roll with it. And I think that applies to everybody. The 15-year-old version of me, the 50-year-old version of my dad, whoever. And then to the 45-year-old version of me, I'd be like, you did it. Like, you're still here. You're still, you're still banging it. I just want to tell you, just from a friend, a brother, teammate, you're unique. You're unbelievable. I thank you for doing this for us. Yeah, thank you. At first, I'm not going to lie, I was a little nervous because I didn't want to ask you certain things that would, would hurt our friendship, but you were unbelievable. The way you opened up and explained everything and went into detail. Yeah, was, for sure. Anytime. Was, a, was Part amazing. Part two coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, y'all shout out. need to go support Randy Foy. This podcast is about to be popping. He's a great father, a great husband, a family man, a businessman, an athlete. Y'all need to lift him up. Brooklyn, let's go. So I know I'm speaking for a lot of people right now, but you're so talented. You're so smart. This is just amazing. This and is I light work, yeah. brother. Like, I appreciate you. We can you. do so much you more. Randy Foy Foundation, all that out there. Yeah, like, exactly. Go get all that information. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, Thanks. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. They drew a line in the sand. Now here you stand outside that line with goals in mind. Dreams and destinies you will put here to find. Manifest. They say you the worst when you know you're the best. So you invest. Put in that work, even when it hurts. Their can'ts and their doubts turn into our will and our must. You put trust in your faith and your gut. The instincts you naturally feel. Against all lies, you tighten up, even the playing field. Brick by brick, you build like the city. There's something in me, in you, that just won't let you stop. You know what's going in, even though they say you are an outside shot. Thanks again for listening to Outside Shot. Unfortunately, we have some sad news to share. Shortly after we recorded with Will, his father, Will Sheridan Sr., passed away. And so we reached out to Will and asked if he wanted to say a few words about his father to conclude this episode. So here's Will. My dad is or was so many things to so many people. Um, you know, he was a pioneer on the police force. He... He patrolled his neighborhood he grew up in. He was a black officer in the 80s. He was an athlete. He was a father. He was a brother. He was a son. He was a community activist. He was doing so many things in the community that being at his funeral just made me realize that his legacy was so much more than our personal relationship. And our personal relationship was so much more than just father and son. He wanted me to be a man. He wanted me to grow and evolve and be all these things that he had ideas for me. And then when he saw me grow up, I exceeded all those expectations. And it was more than me just being gay. He wanted me to be, he wanted me to be successful. He didn't want me to be, you know, behind in life. And um, now that he's gone and I reflect, I really try to just only think about the positive and my dad had a really, really great impact on my life. He was, you know, some people don't get this be around their parents. I got to be around both my parents. And I saw my dad work every day and hustle and grind and try to be as honest 
as possible and be a stand-up guy. And my dad will forever be remembered as a personality, um, as a warm, warm soul, good heart, will give the shirt off his back. And I think much of who I am is deeply rooted in that. And it's because of who he is and who my mother was. We recorded the, the interview when I had just got hurt and just got surgery. And then we got to spend some time together in about three weeks. Um, and we were just kicking it and just having a good time and talking and exchanging ideas. And I really felt, felt like he got to a place where, you know, he, he literally said to me that, you know, he understands that God loves and accepts gay people. He just wasn't in a position to. And I think that was progression. You know, for me, it was more than just like the struggle with having your dad accept you for who you are. It was just more like I just wanted a relationship like that was based on communication and sharing ideas and learning and growing and evolving. And I think we were getting to that point. You know, I feel robbed. You know, my dad was only 62 and most people have grandparents still and you know, my siblings and I really had to come together and just just accept the fact that he's not here anymore. So if I could say anything to him, it would just be that, you know, I knew you had a good heart, Dad. I knew you were in a good place and we were in a good place. And I'm just so uplifted and I feel blessed and empowered by my community and by these circumstances, you know, it was weird that I tore my Achilles, but it happened for a reason so that, you know, I could spend more time with you. So, you know, our God, our higher power, whoever he or she is, had a plan and this is part of the plan and I'm just going to keep your legacy going on, Will Sheridan.